Really nice to see you guys this morning. So as a kid, growing up, uh, at least in my household, life was not necessarily, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenges. Uh, and like a lot of, uh, of young people that kind of grow up in, in that kind of thing, you look for ways to escape. I had two primary escape modes in my life. One was the outdoors. Uh, everybody, I think, for the most part knows I love fishing, I love hunting, and for me, kind of being out in the woods and, and away from the house was a good thing growing up. Uh, the second thing, though, and, and, and some people may know this, a lot of people probably don't, I was a massive bookworm. I spent a lot, a lot of time in books growing up. Uh, you know, I could discover these worlds that were far away, and I could kind of tune out everything around me, and, and it was a good thing uh, growing up. And one of my, my favorite books, I think I can remember picking up this series, I want to say I was probably in third grade, was The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis, lots of people know that. If you, haven't, if you haven't read the books, I highly recommend it. The movies are good, but they're not that. The, the book is, is, is worthwhile. And I spent a lot of time in that series as a young person. And uh, it was kind of my preface this week as we kind of began our, our journey, was this quote, you know, because we're, we're dealing with, well, we'll just jump right into it. C.S. Lewis, uh, here is, boy, if I can get things to work right here, everything's going to be a challenge this morning. So here we go. C.S. Lewis is setting the scene, and, and we get this picture of Aslan, the lion, laying down his life for Narnia, and uh, he kind of picks it up here. I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left in you, um, I suspect there's some people this week that uh, understand that feeling. You will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. But at last, and that's our, our key for it, I want you to hold on to that phrase, but, but at last. Lucy noticed two other things. One was that the sky on the east side of the hill was a little less dark than it had been an hour ago. And the other was some movement going on in the grass at her feet. And we get this picture of, of heartbreak, devastation, a friend lost, uh, a leader lost, a hero lost in Aslan, and, and, and the people closest to him brokenhearted. But then at the end, but at, but at last, just a, just a little bit, glimmer of hope. As we continue our series, Words from the Cross, this week, and we look at the final moments, actually the, the final moment of, of the Lord's physical life, sort of, all right, as, as far as they understood in the story, and just Right prior to, you know, we get to, to his resurrection, we get that uh, same sense of heartache. And we're just going to pick this thing up. It's in John chapter 19. We're going to really pick up where John left off last week, verse 28, and we'll go through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. John talked about that last week. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. 
Do you hear the quiet? There's a sense of finality there. You can get the sense of heartbreak. You can get the sense of, of being his mama. Mary, standing there, watching your son give up his breath. It's, it's hard. It's, uh, it's the tears shed all night until there weren't any left. Jesus in his humanity laying out his life and it's sad and it's hard and it's painful and those three words it is finished carry all of those things and we can sense it but At last, I mean, you, you get the picture here, right? But at last, it kind of leaves us with a question here. It is finished. What, what is finished? Do, do you get it? If, if it is finished, the real question then is what is finished? And all of a sudden, there's a little... Wait a minute, there's a, there's a purpose here. There's, there's something going on, and Jesus acknowledges, not just that I've laid down my life, it is finished, but there's, there's something bigger. There's a purpose. There's a little glimmer of light, and that's really, really the heart of what we're looking at today. So we turn back to the Scriptures, and we look, you know, first and foremost, what did Jesus say about this purpose? Did he, did he have anything to say? And, boy, he had a lot to say is the truth. Uh, we'll go, we'll, we'll do the easy passages, right? We look at Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. And, G, and he, that is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the scribes, and be killed. After three days rise again, and he said this to them plainly. Now, we all know the story. We know exactly what happened here. And Jesus has conveyed to them in advance exactly what's going to happen here. And yet, when we look through the scriptures, every single one of those disciples walk away brokenhearted and dejected and confused. Not understanding what just took place, even though Jesus tells them plainly. And we get this right away. And uh, Peter took him aside in that moment as Jesus is explaining what's going to happen. Took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Uh, this is right after, you've got to understand, Peter had just given the or. Jesus had just given Peter this incredible commendation for Peter's proclamation that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's saying, you are the Messiah, all right? But the Israelites had this preconceived notion of what that looked like, and Jesus wasn't quite, as he's saying, I'm going to die. It's not quite fitting their understanding of what that's going to look like. So Peter rebukes Jesus. That's a scary position to be in, but that's, that's what he did. And... Jesus turns and rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And then it goes on. He says, you get this, but at last. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So as Jesus is proclaiming, I am about to suffer and die and be rejected. Jesus is saying, look. This, this is the plan of God. This is a purpose. As they're coming to the end and, and, and they're experiencing this, they're wrestling with the idea of failure. 
We look at uh, guys like Judas that betrayed Jesus, right? And one of the, the arguments fancy theologians work through is, well, Judas was a zealot, and the reason that he betrayed Jesus is because he was expecting Jesus to go in and storm the capital and drive out the Romans. That was the vision that every, all, all the Israelites had of what the Messiah was going to be. And Jesus is saying, ah, that's, that's not it, guys. I'm gonna, my kingdom coming in is going to look a lot differently than what you thought. And even old Peter couldn't figure that out. And Jesus is patiently, patiently trying to articulate to them what the plan is, and they're still going to miss that. We look at John chapter 16. Again, Jesus is going to be very clear. He's going to speak to them plainly. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Pretty clear. I, I, I came, and now I'm going to leave. And his disciples think they have an aha moment. Ah, you're, you're speaking, there it is that word again, plainly, and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus says, oh, you got you to figure it out? Well, do, do you now believe, behold, the hour is coming, and it has come when each of you are going to be scattered to his own home, and you're going to leave me alone. So we get the dark Jesus again saying, look, you're, this is what's going to happen. You're not getting it. This is, the, this is the plan. But at last, again, this little spark of hope, though, on the heels of that, he says, you're going to leave me alone. But I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things. I've, in other words, I'm telling you this, even this has a purpose behind it, that you may have peace. He says, in the world you're going to have tribulation, and, and they certainly are. They're going to have heartbreak. They are going to be standing at the foot of the cross with a dead Jesus, trying to understand what is happening. You're going to have tribulation, but take heart. And he tells them right there, I have overcome the world. Jesus, again, pointing to the purpose. The cross wasn't failure, it's a fulfillment. This is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And, you know, the disciples don't get it. It's baffling to us. Because the truth is, you and I live in a society that is so saturated with this story that we don't wrestle with it quite the same way that they do. All right? We can, we can read about Aslan, Right? And we can read in the book. And there's a million redemptive type stories. Whatever. I was just watching Spider-Man with the kids. The new Spider-Man movie, right? And at the very end of the movie, in a sense, Peter Parker lays down his life for his friends. Not that he's Jesus, but it's a Christ-like sacrifice element that's weaving into our art forms, into our culture. It pervades. We, we are attracted to those stories. It's written in our heart. We hunger for that. We recognize that. Even in a world that largely rejects Christ, it's a world that's still drawn to that story because even if 2,000 years removed, people are walking further away from that story. The truth is, it's in our culture. It's in our minds. We already know that it's true, that it already happened. So from our perspective, we can look at the disciples and say, you knuckleheads, you couldn't figure it out. I mean, he spoke pretty plainly there. The truth is, this is a hard thing. This is the first time that happened. 
I mean, granted, the, the story had been told, but nah, they didn't see it the way that we get to see it. I have overcome the world. Jesus, Jesus told them what the plan was. But did Jesus, did Jesus just tell them the answers? No. Uh, what did the prophets have to say? So we're going to go back. I mean, the hard part of preparing a message like this, uh, John will tell you, Alan will tell you, Rob will tell you, is being concise and trimming away. There's so much stuff. So I, I tried to be really, really good here and, and just hone in on a couple of things so I didn't run for till breakfast tomorrow morning. Uh, so what did the prophet say? I decided that we'd go 700 years. I feel like that's a pretty good gap. If I tell you something now and it happens 700 years from now, exactly the way I said, I think you'd be like, wow, that's pretty good. Well, a guy named Isaiah, about 700 years before the birth of Christ, God spoke through him and gave us some specifics. So I'm going to read a pretty good chunk here. I just want you to listen. I want you to listen. I want you to grab hold. I, you know, it's neat how God works. He gives the darkness. You're going you're gonna to get the sense of the darkness, and then there's going to be a shift. There's going to be a, a but at last, and you're going to get a glimmer of the light. So stay with me here. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 9. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. All of his friends were going to abandon him. We have turned every one to his own way. Uh, you know, Peter and the boys go back to fishing. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that... Before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Never defended himself. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Hard? That's, that's pretty sad if it just stops there, but it keeps going. But, but, but at last, and you can hear the shift, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the plan. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for gift, guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. 
And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 700 years. 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before Jesus would pay this terrible price on the cross. 700 years before he would explain, look, I have come to pay the sin. 700 years before John the Baptist would say, behold, the Lamb of the world who comes to take away the sins of the world. Isaiah would say, this guy's coming. This is what your Messiah looks like. And they'd miss it. Seven hundred years beforehand, it would say, "Look, look, what's coming is not failure. This is the promise. This is the fulfillment of what's to come." Maybe seven hundred years is not enough for you. It's possible. Maybe somebody in here is still a little skeptical, right? You want to go back a little further? We'll go back a thousand years. Is that okay? Can we do that? Go back a thousand years. Psalm 22. Uh, we just spoke to, about the Psalm 22 uh, as far as that goes. Whatever. This time of year as we are approaching Resurrection Sunday, we talk a lot about Psalm 22. And again, big picture, right? I'm going to give you a big chunk. I just want you to catch it. I want you to catch the heartbreak here. I want you to catch the unfairness here. I, wanna, I want you to catch the pain and then wait for it. Wait for the shift. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John just just walked us through that verse just a few weeks ago. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy, Enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Can you, can you hear the soldiers mocking Jesus? Can you hear the crowds? And then there's a shift. But at last. And to my brothers, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the midst of the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. We get the, the heartbreak, the pain of the cross. Christ and his humanity, right? He really suffered. It's just sad. He really died. 
But at last, there's something else coming here. The story's not over. There is purpose and there is more to come. And a thousand years, a thousand, I can't think of a thousand minutes from now. A thousand years before this time, God spoke through the psalmist, spoke through David, and he recorded these words. And still, the disciples missed it. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they missed it. We tend to miss things. I tend to miss things. Now I got to thinking. A thousand years. We could, we could probably do a, a little better. So we're going to go back just a, a little bit further. We're going to go back, well, 3,000 years from the birth of Christ. or 4,000 years for us. Is that, a, is that a good enough jump? Can we do that together? You guys cool with that? Go back for the, the very, very beginning. What did God say from the beginning? We go back to Genesis chapter 3. And Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they rebel against God. They, they, they disobey God's commandment. And as a result, we get this fancy theological phrase. You guys will hear it all the time, the fall. Okay? And as a consequence of the fall, God pronounces a judgment on the serpent, that is the devil. Um, we get that from Scripture. You don't have to, like, read into it too much. The scripture will tell you that's, that's who that guy is. And this is, this is God's rebuke. Of the serpent. He, he's got some other stuff, but this is, this is what I need you to grab hold of. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And, and you know, we get into scripture and they, they like to point out that's a singular word. And it doesn't even talk about the dude. It talks about the woman. And we're getting to, to Mary, this virgin birth. And we're getting to the offspring, Jesus Christ. He shall bruise your head. In other words, it's over with. You will be defeated. You will be crushed. You're going to bruise his heel. You're going to give him a little sting. And we get the gospel laid out before us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There's a guy coming. The Messiah is, is coming. And yep, his heel's going to get bruised. He's going to be nailed to a cross. And he is going to die. And, and the power that the, that the Satan's deception here, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw away, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he's going to get for himself a people, right? He's going to draw worship. There's going to be this separation between God's creation and human beings and God, and that bridge is going to be completely and totally, that gap is going to be bridged by Jesus Christ. In this moment, right here, he's going to crush your head. You're defeated. This is over with. My guy's coming. It's not failure again on the cross. Well, no, no, this is, this is all part of the plan. The cross was the plan. The cross was the plan 700 years before. The cross was the plan 1,000 years before. The cross was the plan 3,000 years before. And for eternities past beyond what I can begin to understand beyond that. The cross was always the plan. Jesus' atoning sacrifice upon the cross, it was always the plan. And that should leave us uh, with, with a few questions, right? 
Why? God, why is that the plan? Why is that sacrifice? Why, why the sacrifice of Jesus? Heck, this week, boy, a super relevant question. Why death? Death, Lord? Why do we got to deal with that? Why is that somehow woven into the plan? And ultimately, I mean, we can give the real quippy uh, theological answer, well, death is a result of sin. That's exactly right. It's a consequence of the fall. So then the real question is, why? Why does sin exist? Your kids are asking these questions, okay? You know, I promise, you go to colleges, these are the questions that are going to get posed. Why does this happen? Why does God allow this? We need to have, there are answers to this. This isn't just, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. That's a terrible place to be. The truth is there are answers. We need to be equipped personally. That's what Scripture tells us. We need to be equipped to give an answer for the, the reason that we have faith. But we need to equip our kids. We need to equip our neighbors. We all need to be equipped with these answers. And boy, this is a big one right here. This, as far as it goes, this is the heart of every question we can boil down to this. Why? Why does sin exist? First, love is not love without choice. Okay? I'm going to show you a really creepy picture. (sighs) Stay off of Google, people. It's not a safe place. (laughs) That's creepy. Now, I don't care... What in the world, great computer programmers and, and great story, t- whatever happens, that will never be love, will it? We all know that. That's just creepy. That's, that's, that's creepy. It's okay to use that word. Um, that's creepy. That is not love. Love's a choice. When my wife looks at me, in spite of all my mess, all my flaws, And she chooses to say, I love you. Now that means something. If I was just punching the code in her back, come on. It's no different with God. Love is only love with choice. Why did Adam and Eve have a choice? Because otherwise there would be no love. And it's fascinating The people that will wrestle with this the most will be the quickest to say, I won't bow down to a God who's trying to control me. <laughs> when the truth is, he gives us the choice. He's not actually controlling us, and, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll wrestle with the same thing. The proof that the reason sin exists is because we get a choice, and unfortunately, we choose the wrong things, don't we? We do. Every one of us has. Now, one person can raise their hand in the room and say, well, I've never chose the wrong thing. If you do, let us all get away before the lightning comes. That's not the deal. And God knew that. So he makes some choices. 
I mean, we're really quick to talk about our choices and our will, but you know, we are aware that there is a God, and he had a will. You know what he chose? You guys know this verse. Let's get away from the creepy people. For God so loved the world that he gave, he chose, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave his only son. He chose that. Not because he was forced to. And we respond to that. We're not forced to either. We make a choice. That also means, conversely, that there are people that won't make that choice. And so we have sin. Okay? So we can, we can grab hold of that. Okay, so sin, death, all the consequences that, that, that are therewith. It's because there's choice. There's freedom. Every person in here, you're accountable for the decisions you make before God. All right? You are. You, you get to choose. You have some choice. You're not just a robot playing a part. And that's beautiful, but it's a double-edged sword. Now, step two. Established choice as a reason why sin exists, which is a tough one, right? But it's true. We can all, I think everybody here, I don't care if you're 99 or, or n- 9 years old, you, you could probably grab hold of that and kind of get that. I hope so. I don't ever want to have to look at a creepy picture like that again, so don't make me do it again. All right. Step two. All. All. I want you to get this. All of creation exists to glorify God. All of it. Pick this up. Colossians. Paul's writing. Chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, preeminent. It's better, better is preeminent. Uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus created all things. Jesus sustains all things. By him all things are held together. And all things exist to bring glory to God. You want to know what your purpose is? Your purpose is to bring glory to God. All of us. Now, That is absolutely true for every single person that accepts the loving offer of salvation through Jesus Christ and is adopted as as God's sons and daughters. Guess what? Yes, absolutely. You exist to bring God glory. We're going to be doing a study on Romans this year. Man, Romans 8, as far as that goes, I'm going to get to to a great verse in Romans 8 here real quick. But I'll tell you what happens after Romans 8. You know what happens after Romans 8? Romans 9. everybody chuckling, you guys know what I'm about to say. And what Romans 9 will tell us is, guess what? Everybody that rejects God, everybody that rejects that offer of salvation, every single one, they also exist for God's glory. Now for us, as objects of salvation, we exist to bring glory to God, and man, God is, we, we, we get the aspects of God's character. Man, I, I go outside on this beautiful spring day, and I see little reflections 
of how magnificently creative and beautiful. I can look at each one of you. We're all so different, man. And it's crazy. God's love for diversity and his creative, man, it just, it'll, it'll draw a sense of, of awe and worship if you'll let it. All you do is look around. I can, I can look at what he did on the cross, man, and that can, that can absolutely bring my knees and say, God, thank you for being merciful to me. I am a sinner. I do not deserve this great salvation, this offer that you've given me, and it should draw me to my knees. I should just thank you, Jesus. Thank you I get to stand here. Thank, I, I could be adopted into your family. You chose to adopt me? What in the world? That's a beautiful gift. But we live in a world with brokenness, right? We live in a world with sin. We live in a world where terrible people do really terrible things and they aren't repentant of it. And so there's a part of us that says, I want justice. And God, he is just. And even those that would reject him, they will bring God glory as that part of God, that reflection of who God is. He is just. Even, even then, at the judgment table, at that seat, God is glorified. Hard. It's a lot easier to say, ah, I love that. That, that. That's a lot easier. But this is no less true. It's part of the character of God. He is just. For those that put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, well, that judgment has been paid. That debt has been paid by Jesus Christ for you and I. And for that, we can all be extremely thankful. But for those who would reject, well, you're taking that punishment on yourself, and that's not something you want anything to do with. But understand this, God is just. Now the big sentence, kind of the, the culmination. Boy, this is hard. Understand, God didn't create sin. God isn't the author of sin. God is not uh, 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 one that would tempt us to sin, right? God cannot be tempted by sin. However, big sentence, here we go. There is purpose in everything, even in sin. In other words, sin, yep, yep, God didn't do that. However, his purpose overshadows that. Whether it's in showing his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to us or showing his objects of wrath, uh, the justice, okay? And here we go, Romans 8, 28. I promised you we'd get there. I love saying this verse. I love reading this verse when life is not going well in my humble, ridiculously short-sighted estimation. And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things. He didn't say all things but this thing. He said all things, every single thing, work together for good for those called according to his purpose. Even these things. So when I look, when I look to the cross, when I look to the reality of sin and death in this world, I mean, we've, we've had a full week this week. We've had a hard, hard week this week. And well, there it is. No more tears left to cry. Hurting. Confused. 
but it lasts. But, but it lasts even, even amidst that. There is a light. There is a light. Uh, Joe, call you out. My buddy Joe, he gave me this book, A Puritan Prayers. I really like it. Um, and it's got this one. It says, you know, from the deepest well, the stars shine the brightest. We can understand pain and death. We've, we've all experienced that to one degree or another in this life. The consequences, again, of sin, which is really the byproduct of what choice. Unfortunately, we all, again, make the, the wrong ones. But in the light of that darkness, or in the depths of that darkness, I should say, there is a light, and that is that Jesus Christ did make a way. He was willing. He chose. It was just like we choose the wrong thing. Well, he chose the right one. He chose to lay down his life so that you and I could be made whole, that we could be made complete. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God could be reconciled. He bridged that gap. As we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, as we go through this Easter season, as we work through words from the cross, when Jesus says, it is finished, he's saying this plan, this plan that was there from before the beginning of time, I have completed it. And even when I got a, I got a struggle with understanding, man, Adam Beery, really? Are you kidding me? That guy? Whatever, man. I know exactly where Adam Beery is. I mean exactly. Can't wait to see that smile on his face when I get home and he beat me again. Kid has always beaten me. Um, even in the darkest pit, there is light. It is never, never, it's never failure. This is the fulfillment. And man, I thought to wrap this thing up, everybody can wake up now. You know, he said he's going to wrap it up. We'd visit a couple verses here, and I just want to get you a picture. I want you to, to grab hold of this. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. We get this, uh, this picture of, well, let's just read. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. That's the beast. We're, we're dealing with some crazy stuff. But listen, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. In other words, there's going to come a time where some people are going to worship this beast thing. Everyone is going to do it except for, except for these people whose names are written before the foundation of the world. You understand, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've, it's not that God controlled you, but he knew what you were going to choose, and he wrote your name in a book before the, the world was even created. But not before you were a spark in your mom, and before there was ever a spark. I'm talking hovering, there weren't even waters and darkness and light, and all this stuff was created after that. Before that, before that, it was the plan Revelation 22, 13 through 14, Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Do you, have you, 
Have you confessed? Have you washed your robes? Is that your story? Because I'll tell you, for Jesus, this this cross, you're right, it, it, it was fulfillment, not failure. And man, what about you? Are you... Are you failing? Apart from Christ, you're failing. Let me tell you, if you have not given your heart to Christ, if your robes have not been washed, this is failure for you. You get one life. That's it. If anything this week we've learned, we are not guaranteed another second. Not another second. Have you... Come to Christ Jesus. Has, has, has his atoning sacrifice on that cross washed away your sins? If not, I'm telling you, today, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Do not delay. We are not guaranteed another breath. And for heaven's sakes, for those of you who have, who stand there, I know you, Lord. Thank you. Tell somebody because you know a whole lot of people who don't know. And as we're stretching into Resurrection Sunday, come on down, guys. Of all the things that should be burning in our heart, of all the lessons we can learn, again, just from this week, it is. Time is short. Look at the world around us. Read the headlines. Time is short. Thank you guys for your time this morning. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. It was uh, certainly not failure on that cross. Lord, you've been telling us from the beginning of time, since before the beginning of the time, what your plan is, your choice to love us, to redeem for yourself a people, to make yourself known in this world, in our hearts, to make a way that we could come and be with you for all of eternity. Father God, thank you. Lord, I pray as, as we navigate the real, real world here, as we walk through loss of life and pain and death and the consequences of sin in this world, Lord, that we do not lose sight, uh, we do not lose hope, but that we recognize that you are working through all all of it. You are over all of it, working all things for good, even, even in these hard times. Lord, you are working. And Father, if there's even one person, even one person hearing these words that has not yet responded to your call to salvation, Father God, I pray that they would not, not waste even another second, Lord, that they would come down, that they would lay at the foot of your cross and know that there is healing and there is peace and there is hope. In the midst of all this darkness, there is a light, but it lasts in you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your precious word. And thank you for the price you paid for me, for every person that would just believe, Lord. Thank you for paying that cost for us. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.